Welcome to the 120th episode of the Young Turfs Podcast from the Viner Four Gate Studio. This is your host, Mason Viner. And your co-host, Jordan Viner. And on today's episode, we're talking about the Terps' 79 to nothing win over the Howard Bison. And of course, we have a full rundown for you. But before we get into that, this podcast is brought to you by Allied Party Rentals. Your hometown Terrapin party rental resource, Allied, has what you need. Whether you're hosting a large wedding, putting together a small luncheon, or setting up a street festival, Allied has the tents, chairs, lindens, china, and other accessories that you're looking for. Wayne from Turp Talk has known Donnie at Allied since 1995. Located in Beltsville, Maryland, serving the entire DMV, contact Allied today for a free, no-obligation quote at 301-986-0067 or visit them on the web at alliedpartyrentals.com. Jordan, now for the Terrapin Rundown. Well, it is fall, which means it's time for the non-rev report to come back in full force. Our first sport on the docket today will be men's soccer. Um, the Big Ten announced that Maryland will be hosting the Big Ten soccer tournaments at Ludwig Field this season from November 9th to the 17th. The Terps last hosted the tournament in 2014, their first year in the Big Ten. This should be an exciting development, I think. Yeah, I was actually at the last time the Terps hosted the Big Ten tournament. They beat Indiana, I believe, in overtime. I, I think it was in penalty kicks, actually. And, yeah, it's always great. You know, Ludwig's the best atmosphere in college soccer, and having tournament games at home always helps out the Terps. They also had their season opener this past week. The defending champs took on USF. They topped them 1-0. to And they will play tonight at Audi Field against the number 12th-ranked Virginia Cavaliers. Last year, that game was a tie. Um, pushing all along here, field hockey. The second-ranked field hockey team won their first of two matches. Oh, sorry, won their first two matches of the season against Richmond, five to nothing, and then New Hampshire, five to one. Things ramp up considerably for the Terps as they begin playing the ACC Big Ten Cup next weekend, traveling to Northwestern to face number thirteen Boston College and number three Duke. It should be some good games. Yeah, obviously you're talking about two of the top-tier college field hockey programs that the Terps will be taking on in BC and Duke, and it's always great to see Maryland playing against the Blue Devils. Yes, it is. Um, On the other side of the pitch, women's soccer is off to a very rough start to their season. Uh, They started off winning a pair of one-goal victories over Georgia Southern and Robert Morris, Um, but they then fell to Auburn and Georgia, both unranked by a combined score of 9 to nothing. They will next host George Mason on Thursday, but this is not the way you want to start off the season. Yeah, I was I was being I was a bit inspired by the first two games. Obviously, seeing wins from this team is always important. They've been struggling as of recent, but this Georgia and Auburn games were not good for them. Obviously, a combined score of nine to nothing. I believe they lost last night to the Bulldogs four or five to nothing. Not great, but hopefully they can get it back going the right direction before they hit Big Ten play. Volleyball has some news. Outside hitter Erica Pitchard became Maryland's first All-Big Ten preseason selection on August 26th. Volleyball defeated both Austin P and Kansas State in the Wolfpack Invitational. They will next host Howard tomorrow at 6 at the Xfinity Pavilion. Yep, uh, big deal for volleyball. They get their first ever Big Ten preseason selection. I think it's definitely a step in the right direction. Hopefully they can qualify for the tournament this year. Yeah, they've had a lot of steps in the right direction. Obviously last year they were just on the outside of the NCAA tournament. But they've been recruiting fantastic. Steve Arrett obviously started that up and they've kept it going in this past couple of seasons. So a lot of positives on the volleyball court. Obviously they do play the hardest 
and best volleyball conference in the nation. I actually saw an ad during the Maryland game on Saturday about Big Ten volleyball, and I believe it had six or seven teams in the top 15. You know, you play in front of sold-out crowds. It's just, it's unlike any other volleyball conference. Uh, SEC may have something to say about that, but... Uh, for the no, they part, don't, though. No. They really don't. The Big Ten okay. is obviously the best, Jordan. Um, on to our one piece of non, non-rubber non football news. Former Turp point guard Gurius Vasquez was named an associate head coach for the New Orleans Pelicans G League affiliate, the Erie Bayhawks of Erie, Pennsylvania. Uh, many people have said since Grievous was playing here that he would one day be a coach. He's spoken before, very recently at Athletic, about wanting to come back to Maryland as a coach. And I think this is really the official start of the coaching path for him. Yeah, I think this is great for Gravis. And I think the G League players are going to get something out of this. Gravis is really inspirational. If you follow him on Instagram, you see he's always taking trips back to his home country of Venezuela to help out there, trying to spread basketball around the world. And, you know, he's got all that NBA experience. And, of course, he was a college All-American. So I think he brings a lot to the table for any team. And he did get some coaching experience also in the Summer League this year where he was, was he an assistant or head for the Pelicans? I think he was assistant for the Pelicans, but obviously they liked him enough to invite him on full time. Like, I'm not saying anytime soon because you'd want a lot more experience before anything like this would happen, but if Grievous was named an assistant even in Cox Park, it would be met with ways of approval, I think, from the fan base. Yeah, I think so, but I think he has a ways to go before that. Some disappointing football news after the NFL roster cuts were made. The notable Terps that were cut off of NFL rosters are Jesse Anybodum, surprisingly Derwin Gray, Damian Prince, surprisingly Trey Watson, Josh Woods, and Torrey Smith. Yeah, Derwin Gray was signed to the Sealers practice squad. Uh, Torrey Smith, I'm sure, will get signed somewhere else, so it's more of the cap hit than anything else. But on the flip side, we have a healthy list of players on NFL rosters going into the season. Yeah, and those Terps are Jermaine Carter with the Panthers, Byron Cowart with the Patriots, Sean Davis with the Steelers, Vernon Davis with the Redskins, Stephon Diggs, with the Vikings, J.C. Jackson with the Patriots, Quentin Jefferson still with the Seahawks, Ty Johnson makes the Lions roster, so does Darius Kilgo, D.J. Moore with the Panthers, Yannick Ngakwe down where I am in Jacksonville, and Darnell Savage with the Green Bay Packers. Uh, um, Darius Kilgo on the Lions with IR. Ty Johnson was someone who I didn't fully expect going into the preseason, but he had a good preseason, I'm not surprised. So who do you think is going to have the best season in the NFL category, Mason? Um, I think it's going to be DJ Moore with uh, Torrey Smith gone off the Panthers. He even has a wider role down there in uh, Carolina. But that's kind of my dark horse pick. Obviously, you have the NFL stars like Stefan Diggs and Yannick Ngakwe. So it's really hard to differentiate from those guys. I also think Jermaine Carter is going to have a much wider role also with the Carolina Panthers, Byron Cowart made some plays in the preseason. But I think my dark horse, even though he had a great year last year, is J.C. Jackson in New England because, you know, I didn't see it out of him when he was in College Park, but last year in New England he was rated as one of the best corners in the league by Pro Football Focus. Yeah, and with Torrey Smith departing for wherever he actually ends up, uh, the Patriots now share the lead for the most pro Terps on one roster. Yeah, but most Terp fans, not me, but most Terp fans can't see themselves rooting for New England. I actually like the Patriots, so I'm fine with that. Yeah, and um, I would have to say 
I'm looking for a breakout year from Jason Jackson as well. But I would not be surprised if Sean Davis takes the next step in the Steelers' defensive backfield. But I think that's enough pro chart news for now. So do I. Uh, quick note on some more football news. The Turfs suffered their second ACL injury of the preseason a while ago with outside linebacker Daryl Nchime suffering a season-ending ACL tear. Obviously not good to see. He was expected to have a huge role in the Maryland defense. But, hey, against Howard, um, it wasn't looking like the Terps were missing him much, but obviously a bigger test coming up this week with the Syracuse Orange. Yep, and our last news bit before we dive into the Howard game, um, the athletic department announced 25 improvements to the game day experience on the um, Terps. Uh, these are all based on fan feedback. The most notable one that seems to generate the most buzz is the Terps added um, graffiti art around the stadium and in their player tunnel, which some people had a negative reaction to on social media. Yeah, I saw a lot of negative reaction at the beginning, especially with the tunnel, people seeing it in the background of the uniform pictures, actually, so that going back a while now, a few weeks. There was some negative reaction about that, but I don't really have a problem. It's really for the players. It's not for the older fans that don't really like graffiti. I love the Go Terps thing. Uh, it's on the, I guess, if you're going from the student section in the end zone towards... Tyser Tower, it's on that first wall inside of there. I love that, but obviously their statement on the scoreboards and sound system left something to be, be desired. Yeah, I tried to find the actual list here, but the, what they basically said about the sound system, or I'm sorry, the scoreboard and sound system, was that um, they're working on it. They didn't really have anything else to say, they just kind of said they're, they're trying to make a plan and they should announce it soon, but... I mean, I think we've been promised a new scoreboard, or at least it's been floated around for, what, five or six years now? I really wouldn't say uh, with this new era, it's been five or six years. What I will say is Damon Evans, when he was promoted to athletic director, came on Terp Talk and said that that was his number one priority with this football program, was to get the scoreboards fixed. Now, there were some drawings floating around earlier this year, but the money's just not there. Let's be honest. I mean... You go around that stadium on a Saturday, everybody will complain about the scoreboards and the sound system. Let's just say the scoreboard. Okay, go around with the amount that the scoreboard costs and ask people for donations. How many people are going to give them for a scoreboard? The answer is not enough. I mean, Maryland, from a donation standpoint and from a fundraising standpoint, is just not in the place where people can be complaining about this because they won't pony up the money. And frankly, they just they don't have the donors. They don't have the money. Um, we're going to have new uh, seat and row numbers, so that's, I think, a long time coming. Some new chants. Um, they repainted a lot of stuff around the stadium. Uh, they do that every year, stadium. though. That's not even... It's, uh, when I saw this list, I was kind of disappointed. I mean, they should be doing a lot of this stuff without having to do a whole fan survey and then make the improvements. I, I would agree. There's nothing too surprising. I mean, there's nothing great on the list like some discounts some new bathroom stuff but like nothing that you read home about but i guess it's better than nothing i mean i like the discount idea i think that's good but really i just i don't find it to be that inspirational like they're making some huge changes i find it to be good but they need some big improvements in the stadium because we've all been there and it's not great it's not even good it but the shell and the tunnel are expensive additions. Like, you can't overlook those. 
But I don't get how that was the priority. Like, I love the show as much as the next Maryland fan. But how is this the priority when I didn't really hear people complaining about their entrance? I heard people complaining about the scoreboards. Address the issues that need, that people really see or have problems with. I can't disagree with you that much. Um, I will say, though, that it does change things a little bit for me just because they don't live in Gossip Team House anymore. Well, that's not completely true yet. I get what you're saying. Like, I love the show. I like the entrance. I like the way it looks. I think it looks like a real college football team. It doesn't look like a bunch of guys running out of, frankly, a little red balloon. It looks it looks like a legit entrance. I really like it. But the scoreboards... I don't have a huge problem with the scoreboards till what I heard about the game experience this past week where the scoreboards were still broken. How did they not even fix them? Yeah, there were still dead spots on the scoreboards. Well, that's unacceptable. I'm not going to say anything about that. That's unacceptable. And if that really was the case... That is the case. I have no words. I have no words. None. None at all. But... Let's continue on to the actual game. The Terps topped the Howard Bison 79-0. Jordan, initial thoughts on the score? Um, wow. That was my first thought. It was 28 to nothing after the first quarter, and my actual thought at the moment was there's no way this is sustainable. It's going to tamper out. We're going to get to 52-7 to or some you know, normal FCS, FBS score. Um, but this was the second largest margin of victory in college football yesterday. Who was first? I believe Penn State Idaho. No, Penn first. State beat Idaho seventy nine to seven. Oh, I thought that got higher. Okay, my bad. That may be the highest though. Yes, it was the highest, so technically Maryland's the best team in college football. Yeah, I think there's no other way to say it. Um so in the first half we saw a lot of good things. We saw Josh Jackson kind of look uncomfortable early, but I think as the game went on while he was in it, he kind of evened out. Um, he was 15 for 24 of the day, 245 with four touchdowns on completions. Uh, sorry, no interceptions. Um, he looked fine. I didn't think he looked great, but it was his first game. He got into the system. I don't know how much more you really wanted from him. So I think that he did look great. I'll, I'll be honest here. I'm not, I'm not saying this just to say it. I think he looks great once the, play, once the proper play-calling adjustments were made. If you look at the Terps play-calling from Scotty Montgomery, obviously his first game, Mike Loxley, all these guys' first game. So the first drive, everybody was unsettled, whole new offensive line group, different receivers, you know. Once they started running plays to counteract the zero blitz that Howard was running, I think Josh Jackson looks fantastic. Before that, though... It was shaky. Obviously, he made some throws against the zero blitz that were really n- not great. He might have wanted to eat some sacks, honestly. But I think he looked great once he settled in. Obviously, Piggy had a whole different story, given that the score by the time he got in was, I think it was 21 to nothing. I don't remember exactly what the score was. I think the zero... Maryland did not handle the blitz well. I think if you want to hone in on something that we need to work on, the offensive line against the blitz looked less than ideal, especially considering the competition they were facing. Yeah, I think so, but you're, you're talking about a team that was playing straight man coverage and blitzing every other guy. There was no zone. There was no deep safety, nothing. Yeah, and in theory, you're always going to struggle against that because you're outmanned, but 
it's just our reaction to the blitzing was I didn't really like. I agree once the play calls settled into more counters, two zero blitzes, that they definitely looked better. It's just the reaction to that, both from the coaching and the players, left something to be desired from my angle. And I understand that's really nitpicky. Considering it was the first game. It was the first game. That's all I got to say about that. But let's focus in on some other offensive line play. I thought that the left tackle from both guys was not great. I thought that Ellis McKenney really struggled to get outside and block. I thought that they just struggled a little bit. But that's expected. It's a really young line. Not a lot of experience. But I don't really know what to look at here. Sure, you can go back. You can look at the film and see that Ellis McKinney might have not gotten all the way to the edges when he needed to. Or might have not picked up the blitz the best, or the same for you know Jalen Duncan, Evan Gregory. You can almost go through every guy and find something wrong. But how do you judge this? I mean, your team won 79 to nothing against a Howard team that was obviously not on the same level. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think we should... I think we're harping on this a little bit much. We should talk about some other players. Uh, Terrell Pogrom, 2 for 5, 60... One yards, a touchdown to the air. Also, one rush for 22 yards and a touchdown on that play. Uh, he looked very comfortable in the system. Yeah, I, I don't I, think he outplayed Josh Jackson, but it definitely made it definitely had some confidence for me at least that if he stays, I don't think there's much risk that he leaves, but he could theoretically leave four or four games are up. If he stays, I think we'll be okay if Josh Jackson gets hurt, which is something we need, we as Randall fans need to consider. Yeah, I thought Piggy looked fantastic in my book. I thought that he had that one throw to uh, Tyler Marbury that was absolutely great. Obviously, he wasn't able to reel it in and stay in bounds. He just made some plays. He looked great in the pocket, looked much better footwork, much better throwing motion. I thought Piggy looked really good, given that it was already a blowout by the time that he got in the game, so there's not that much to take from that. Other quarterbacks that got in, Tyler Dressou scored a rushing touchdown. He looked okay. Obviously, the game was way over by then. And then Lance Lejean got some time in, ran the ball for 17 yards, but can't take too much stock in either of those guys, but good to see him out there playing, getting time, and getting some uh, real live action snaps against another team. Yeah, not much else to say about that. Uh, the rushing attack, as we expected, was diverse and gorgeous. 300, uh, sorry, 317 yards and five touchdowns from a variety of runners. Um, Ant-Mac only got six carries for 18 yards, so a bit of a Detness Hodgman campaign early. Uh, what was really great, though, we saw Jake Funk um, I know Mason and I, both Mason and I, one, one of our favorite players, got 12 carries, 79 yards, including a 49-yard rip for a touchdown. It was great to see Jake Funk in the game. Yeah, it was great to see Jake out there and, of course, scoring a touchdown and, you know, being a team captain for this game, Jake Funk was. Uh, the guy that I really want to focus on is Lorenzo Harrison. He didn't get into late in the game. I had hamstring problems. Obviously, the injury that held him out of 10 games last year. He looked great. He had one run that was absolutely fantastic. He could have busted it to the outside and probably scored. But great to see him getting his feet back and looking as explosive as ever. I really never thought to see that old Lolo Harrison that scored against, you know, that great run that he had against Purdue a few years ago on homecoming and making crazy moves and cutbacks. But he was out there. I think that Lolo's got to get involved somewhere else or maybe even transfer. You know, this guy's got so much talent. I would, I would just hate to see it go without notice. Uh, Tayon Fleet Davis also got in from 79 yards, 16 carries. Uh, we saw a little bit of Javon Lake, but I really thought I'd see more. 
yeah, he had some nice stretch power running, but they really handed the show to Fleet and Funk and Lolo. You know, there wasn't much of your one and two punch. Obviously, I don't think they were trying to show much from either Anthony McFarlane nor Javon Leak going into such a big game against the ranked Syracuse Orange. But, you know, it is what it is. You, you know that Javon Leak and Anthony McFarlane are great running backs. And you know that Tayon Fleet Davis, Jake Funk, and Lolo Harrison are solid. So they chose to give the carries to the guy that's at, that might not be getting that many the rest of the season, which I'm completely fine with. Everybody had a great day in my eyes. It's just such a powerful attack. I mean, it's better than ever. Yeah, the backfield is the strength of this team already, as we've seen. Uh, the receiving was very spread out, also as we expected. Dante Demas definitely was the... Um, starting Z receiver, which I was a little bit surprised by. Well, maybe not, but whatever the case, he looked good out there, I thought. Yeah, so as did Daryl Jones had some nice catches, so did Brian Cobbs. Actually, I'm going to focus here on a converted wide receiver who I thought had a great game, which was Taj Kapar. You know, the receiving attack is something that's going to be spread out the whole year, just like it was last year. You have Demas, Daryl Jones, uh, I believe even... Um, Sean Nelson was making plays, wasn't he? Yeah, he, he got at least one catch. Um, Shiga Conquo was looking great. Tyler Marbury. I mean, there's so many guys here. Another spot where I think the Terps are just trying to spread the ball out. You know, guys got to make separation here. That's what Coach Loxley talks about with the receiving. And this was just that first step. And I think Dante Demas had a strong game. I think Nelson had a strong game. And I think both tight ends did. Those are my four guys that I think I'm going to be going to. But it's oh, nice okay. to see. Hold on. Okay. It's nice to see that they can really spread the ball out to so many guys and get the ball to the tight ends, too. Yeah, it was great to see tight ends back in the mix again. Two things I really want to focus on with the receiving core. Um, okay, number one, Mason, do you feel like we missed Jay Sean Jones out there at all? Yeah, I think they do. I think Jay Sean is a – he was the alpha dog receiver from everything that we saw in the, in the scrimmages, the open practices – he seemed to be the guy that was taking the biggest stride, took the biggest step forward, and obviously he was a pretty electric receiver last year, especially in that game against Texas. He's just such a versatile receiver. You know, he can even throw the ball, so I I just think they are missing just a little bit of something out of Jay Sean Jones. But they got the guys to fill in the gaps. My other thing is, were you surprised that DJ Turner, he did great at Turner, but are you surprised he wasn't on the field more as a receiver? No, not really. I mean, my expectations out of DJ are kind of, I guess, low at this point. It's it's like they got DJ Turner and they were in one system. And since then, they've changed so much of what they're doing that they have bigger, longer receivers. You know, you have DJ Turner and Sean Savoy, two guys that I think are pretty decent slot receivers. But the Terps don't really use that small receiver look. They don't have those guys. They have Demas, who's huge. Daryl Jones, who's pretty big. And Brian Cobbs, who's really muscular. And they use that kind of receiver. You know, um, I think it was Walt Bell who recruited those three guys. He has a type of receiver, and those are the guys that are still on the field for the Terps now. And I think Coach Loxley and Montgomery have done a nice job of really adapting to that kind of receiver. It just, unfortunately, doesn't really fit DJ Turner or Sean Savoy. Uh, we saw Isaiah Hazel on the field. He didn't make a catch. Um, Flipping to the defense, I think it's really hard for me to mention the defense without mentioning Nick Cross's great game. Yeah, obviously Nick Cross making some huge plays on special teams. I, I really liked what I saw. I mean, from 
the perspective of the defense, it is really hard to judge because the D-line was making plays, obviously, against the Howard team that wasn't good. The secondary wasn't tested much. They're just, there's not a lot to look at. I mean, a guy that I really like, Gote, he was out there being aggressive as always. I liked the, the way the safeties were playing, but even the big players, Antoine Brooks, I don't think he even got a tackle in this game. You know, your two linebacker, Shaq Smith, was getting after it, but it's against Howard. Hey, I agree, but also, Kendra Jones and Shaq Smith, especially Kendra Jones, looked great out there. Yeah, I really think they did, but it's against Howard. They couldn't move the ball. They didn't get a first down, in, I think, till the third or late second quarter. It was, I think, the second quarter. It was off a penalty. It was a P.I., I think. No, I'm talking about earned first down. Oh, that I actually don't know for sure. I mean, how many did they have the oh. whole game? Like, eight? They had four first downs the entire game. They were two for 17 on third down. I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, third down. I just think they, the competition from Howard, especially when the game started, I thought was going to be a lot more. You're talking about a team, they beat UNLV last year, didn't they? That was two years ago, I think. But, I mean, after, I think, the middle of the second quarter when it was like 42 to nothing, I was just, I just felt embarrassed for Howard, honestly. I don't really know what to think of this game. This is one of the few football games I've watched in my life and have not known what to think about this game. There's just a lack of competition that I did not expect. I thought Maryland was going to win this game like 63 to 10. And then, you know what, you look at it, okay, they scored a touchdown late, you know, they got, they, at least Howard got on the board. This game was a punch in the mouth to Howard. I have never seen a team so beaten. And I've seen Maryland lose games like 66 to nothing. Maryland could have put up like 115 points in this game if they wanted to. Yeah, they definitely took the gas pedal off, especially when they got to 79. And it's fair to say that we expected better, because we all... All football fans out there know there are some FCS teams you fight, face, like South Dakota State against Minnesota or you and I against um, Iowa State. If anybody saw that game, that was a great Or JMU against West game. Virginia. I mean, the list just yeah. goes – it's a long list. Some of these teams go out there and they threaten to win or win, but Howard just looked completely outclassed. Yeah, I don't really have much more to say about this game as a whole. I will say I like the uh, 79 to nothing score. I like the way they honored um, – Jordan McNair, obviously. I don't think it was on purpose, but it's still great to see that, you know, Jordan's still with the team and in everyone's hearts. Obviously, Tayon Fleet Davis and Jake Funk both had 79 yards, so a lot to look at. It's been a whole year since that Texas game, which is really hard to imagine, but just still such a tragedy that Jordan's not with the team. And, you know, all they can do is play to honor him. Yeah, um, one thing I will say before we head out is I did feel... A fair amount more confident in this team more now than I did before this game. Yeah, I'll go on that point for a second. I saw on Terrapin Times and on Inside Maryland Sports this week people predicting this game to be like thirty-five to three or forty-two to ten, and I knew then. Then I was like, "What are these people looking at?" Maryland beat Howard last time like fifty-two to seven. I just I think that a lot of people underestimated this team, underestimated how ready they would be, and I really loved what Coach Loxley said in the locker room after that Maryland football put out. You only get one chance to make a first impression, and this team went out there, and they did it. 
you saw them on the Sports Illustrated Twitter, the Bleacher Report Twitter, all over social media because they beat Howard up so badly. And one more note, they get a national stage to showcase their skills on this next week. If you can, show up to Maryland Stadium next week. Show up to the Shell, support the team, because the game's going to be on ESPN. Everybody in America will be seeing it, and they need your support and help to top a ranked Syracuse team that did not look great against the Hugh Freeze coach, Liberty Flames. Uh, the Hugh Freeze coach, what a statement that is. Uh, but yep, we have, we'll have a, pro, a preview episode later this week. Um, next week, it's, it's kind of like a this time for real sort of thing, I think. Yeah, it's time for this team to go out there, showcase their best players, Anthony McFarlane, Javon Leak. they got to have huge games along with Josh Jackson. But you're talking about a team that's played against a lot of ranked teams. The Terps have no doubt that they have experience playing against good teams. I'm liking the way Maryland's looking. Obviously, the line is only two and a half towards Syracuse. This is supposed to be a competitive game. Yes, it is. Um, I'm assuming Syracuse will still be ranked. And if we can win this game... We can win this game, our entire outlook changes, so I really hope we have reason to be this excited. Yeah, as do I, and I think that's it, unless you have anything else. Oh, one more thing. I love that the team goes over to the band, sings the fight song, and the alma mater. They've always gone over there and done the fight song, but great touch by Coach Loxley to have them sing the alma mater after the game. I think we need to come up with a nickname for Coach Loxley Mason, just a young church nickname. I mean, he's got he's got nicknames outside of it. We'll we'll talk about it. I, I think it's a possibility, but I think that's a wrap for this podcast. As always, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Allied Party Rentals, for all of your party rental needs. Visit AlliedPartyRentals.com and Viner Forgates for all of your business IT needs. You can reach Viner Forgates at 301-251-2900 or on the web at the number one Viner.com. Check out TerpTalk.com for all the great videos. Also, thank you to Wayne Viner for sending us great footage and pictures from the game. Get out there next week, support the Terps, and we'll be back later this week to preview the Terps against the number 22 Syracuse Orange. And as always, thanks for listening.